So the first of the things that happen in a story that God tells is that there is mystery. If you're living in a story that's being written by another, you are not going to know what's going to happen. You don't always get advanced warning of what is coming. The Bible is insistent from first to last that God rules over all things. He made it all, we're told right at the start, and he is sustaining it all. He is feeding every creature. He's deciding every battle. He is determining every roll of the dice. The Bible says all these things. Here's the one, Ephesians 1.11 says, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. He is the author of everything. And if you want a fancy word to call it, we call this providence. And it's great news. But it can also leave us mystified at times. Like Janita's word for it, interesting. So it's been interesting this week. We, we can all resonate with that. Can't we? Every time it's like, that is interesting. And maybe we're being British and understated about it, but it's something, things are going on, and, and we're like, why is that happening? Why are those bad things happening? Why haven't those good things happened? Why are you writing the story this way, Lord? And this is where the book of Ruth starts. There is anarchy and famine in the land. There is death in the family. There's a sense of darkness. There's a sense of emptiness. There is an absence of good, and it feels like just loads and loads of bad things happening. It's the kind of situation that we often can see on the news. When we look around our neighborhoods, we see it. And actually, sometimes in our own lives, we experience it too. I know, just because I know you, and I know some of your stories, what, some of those things that you've experienced, some of those things you have found hard and difficult, some horrible things that have happened. Even in a time and place like this, you know, like some of the most blessed people who have ever lived in history, given where and when we live. But things, there is trouble, there is sorrow. Now, we can give some explanation from the Bible as to why those things happen, and that can be helpful. But we still get to the point like we're having a conversation with an inquisitive toddler because eventually we're going to run out of answers to the repeated question, why? Yeah, but why? At some point we're going to be like, because. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to be okay with saying, I don't know. And for many of us, that's really difficult because we like to know. And we've been brought up to expect to know. But God says to us, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's Isaiah 55. And that can sound a little bit like God giving us a bit of a smackdown. Like, shut up, you know nothing. But the context of that passage is God saying, You are going to be so staggered by my forgiveness. You're going to be so amazed by how loving I am. You're like, what is going on? And I'm telling you the reason is that my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. There is mystery in that. The Bible says, we've quoted it, Ephesians 1.11, God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. And then he turns that up even more. In Romans 8, 28, he says that not only is he working all things for the counsel of his will, but the counsel of his will is that all things work together for the good of those whom God loves. These truths do not mean 
that we are going to be able to understand everything that is happening right now and understand how it all fits in that. We will experience mystery in a variety of ways. Some of these ways will be massive and tragic. And that's been my experience over the last few years. Several things have happened really awful. I've had no idea why. I can, I've got lots of theology. I've got lots of reasons where the Bible takes us to. But where the Bible takes us to is not a finished answer for all of those things. Some of the other mysteries you experience, they're so small, they happened yesterday, you're not even thinking about them anymore. They're just things. Uh, my family, we're currently living with what we're going to call a medium-sized mystery. So for the past two years or so, we've been wanting to move house, and Deb and I have been praying about that. And now we've sold our house. Yeah, great news. Great news if you've bought a house. <laughs> Awkward news if you haven't. And that's where we are. We've got to move out. We had one offer. We're taking it. And we've got nowhere to go. I mean, we do. Obviously, we do. But we don't know where we're going to move to. We've decided against lots of places. We've bid on a few and not got them. It looks like we're going to have to go somewhere else for a while, like rental or something. And, you know, that's, <laughs> no one likes moving, I don't think. I don't, anyway. It's so like a hard enough thing anyway. And like, okay, we're going to have this horrible, weird hardness in the midst of it. Really didn't want that to happen for our kids. Really didn't think it would be helpful. But it's, it's happening. It's obviously like the ultimate middle class nightmare, I know. Um, <laughs> Now, plenty of this is explicable naturally. There is a crazy housing market at the moment, and we've made decisions that have consequences. So not this mystical, strange, like, oh, why would this happen? Like, well, you've, you've not bid on those houses. You have bid on those ones. Other people have taken them. I understand. And there's also plenty of evidence in all the way through this of God's kindness to us. So I'm not kind of sharing you this in a kind of way, I can't believe what God's up to. I just don't know what he's up to. I don't. Like, is, is he wanting to kind of challenge our faith? Obviously, one of the, the, the more money and the more significance an event involves, the more that tends to get our attention, doesn't it? The more it tends to, uh, to, to kind of stir our faith. Maybe that's what's happening. It's an inv- invitation just like to tighten our grip on him. Maybe he's just wanting to humble us, grow some more character in us. Maybe he wants us to look somewhere else than where we've been looking. Maybe the greatest house ever is about to appear on the market. Maybe several of those things. I don't know. I just don't know. And as and when we do get a house, I may still not know. It might not be immediately explicable to me. And it's tiring and it's frustrating and it's distracting. But what we're not trying to do in the midst of this is is kind of second guess God. And we're certainly not going to be like, Explain yourself. He he doesn't have to do that. And actually, that's part of the point of mystery. Mystery is meant to take us from a place of confidence into a place of trust. Now, it doesn't mean that the reason that awful thing has happened to you is so that you would grow in your faith. That's not a straight line. The Bible doesn't necessarily say that. 
But that is the thing that we see next in Ruth's story. It starts with mystery and then it moves into trust. We're not told about Ruth's reaction to the sorrows that she experienced. She, uh, she was married for 10 years, wasn't able to have children, then her husband died. Those are two awful things to happen at any stage, let alone in that culture and that context. But she says to her mother-in-law, Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. So she leaves her nation, she leaves her family, she leaves her old religion, and she puts her trust entirely in Yahweh, the God of Israel. Now, we know that according to, we know that Naomi saw all of her disasters as coming from Yahweh's hand. That's what Naomi says, and yet Ruth puts her trust in him. Isn't that interesting? Maybe something that for many of us would be a stumbling block to our faith was actually an encouragement to Ruth's. Because if God wasn't in charge of all things, why trust him? Moses preaches to Israel in Deuteronomy 4, has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great deeds of terror, all of which Yahweh, your God, did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence, by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that Yahweh is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other. And that is the basis of Ruth's faith. Not what has happened in her own life or what has happened in Naomi's life, but that God has done these things and that only he could have done them. That is true for the people of the Old Testament. They were rescued from a nation and they were brought into a land. How much more true must that be for those of us who believe in the New Testament, that we were rescued from the dominion of sin and death and brought into the family of God forever through Jesus Christ. This is, this is who God has revealed himself to be. He is the God who uses his matchless power to free foolish rebels from the chains of sin and death. This is the God who humbles himself and makes himself poor that we might be exalted with him and blessed with every spiritual blessing in the, in the heavenly places. This is who God is. Nothing can happen in my life or in the world that is more significant in determining my opinion of God than the death of Jesus on the cross. And how big we see that and how large we see everything else going in our lives kind of depends on how much we are putting our trust in him and how much we are focusing on him. There is no other I will trust in. Now, the way Ruth describes her commitment to Naomi is a picture of how we should trust God. She says, I'm giving you everything. I'm making a permanent, absolute allegiance to you and with you. Whatever happens, whether I understand it or not, I belong to you. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. This is the kind of faith that will bring us through our darkest and most mysterious times. It does not mean that you don't ask questions, that you don't 
Talk to God about your frustration that you don't express your grief and your disappointment. There are entire books of the Bible showing us how to do this. And God says through Isaiah, Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. And actually, he then goes on to rebuke those who make their own torches, who who try to work it out by themselves. He says, no, hold my hand. That is where the blessing is. And in doing that, we may then get more understanding because we're then living by faith rather than just by sight. The theologian Anselm of Canterbury said, I do not seek to understand in order that I may believe, but I believe in order to understand. And that may happen for us. Whether it does or not, we trust. And following our trust, we act. That's the next thing we see in the story. So a common criticism of the idea that God is in control of all things is that that makes human actions redundant. That is never what anyone who trusts in God in the Bible is like. In fact, the people who experience God's sovereignty the most are usually those who work the hardest. And Ruth's an amazing example of this. So she has heard that God is the one who provides uh, for the poor and for the hungry. So what does she do? She goes and gets some food. She goes and tries to get some food. She and Naomi know that God's law has commanded a relative like Boaz to marry her and redeem Naomi's family. So they make a plan and she goes and asks him to do that. And Boaz, in his turn, trusts God and then acts. There's someone else. Um, who has a first claim on redeeming them. So Boaz plans his conversation with this guy really carefully to maximize his own chances of marrying Ruth. These people trust God, and then they make a plan, and they put it into action. Many years later, David told the mighty Goliath, the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hand. How's he going to do that? Well, David is putting a stone into the sling, even as he is saying that. Centuries later, the Lord of that battle said to his followers, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He then says to Paul later, he says, Don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Paul's response to that amazing Um, assertion from God of his sovereignty. It's not to be like, great, well, they'll all become Christians then. His his response is to go and get them. It says, he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. God's people can act confidently and pray confidently, as Raph taught us last week, because he's in charge. More than this, we can work with him. We are not alone. We're not left to our own devices, even when we're in the dark, even when it kind of feels like that. Rather, like a a loving adult with a child, he is teaching us how to live his way. Now, when we think of that, we often use that even today. It was lovely uh, for Shelley to talk about to come to God as children. And that's right. That's what Christians can do. But often when we think about that, we, we picture ourselves as toddlers, We're just clueless. We're stumbling alongside someone who really knows what's going on. And we think we're helping, but really we're making a mess of it. And they say, very good job, well done. Then they do it themselves. 
that actually God wants to give us more dignity than that. A really helpful way, I think, of understanding this is apprenticeship. So we are absolutely the junior partner in this. Clearly, in every way, shape, or form, he is superior to us. But he is teaching us. He's teaching us and shaping us and growing us and in making us more like his son that we might work with him to advance his kingdom. He's bringing us, the Bible says, to maturity. Maturity. And actually, as that happens, we find that he is telling his story. And so it's often as we act that God does his work. But sometimes he does things beyond our control. And we know, we expect that can be miraculous. But the story of Ruth shows us it can also be something as mundane as a kind of coincidence. So this is the fourth thing we we see when God's telling a story. Ruth 2 says, Ruth set out, went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech, her father-in-law. And oh, look, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. It just so happens that in a, a patchwork of fields belonging to many people, they weren't all fenced off with signs saying Boaz Enterprises or anything like that. She just wanders into his who is, you know, related to her family. And it just so happens that he goes along that day to see what's going on and sees her. And it just so happens that his ancestor is Rahab, the Canaanite woman whose faith in Yahweh saved her. So the idea of a foreign, foreign woman coming into the people of God is a story that he knows and cherishes from personal experience. So he really is the perfect man for her. Because God put him there and put her there. What are the chances of that happening? There's no angels or prophets involved in this, but God is involved. I wonder if maybe the story of how you became a Christian had a moment like this. So there were several classes in my year group at school, but there was only one when I was 13 that had two boys who came to a church like this. I was put in that class. They became my friends and they invited me along to their youth group. Or maybe how you ended up at King's. Is there something in that story? Like, still not quite sure why I'm here. Like, how I got here. Or it's just a moment where you're like, that was just a wonderful moment. I, I wasn't in charge of that. And you know, heard me say it a million times, but I was invited from a church in England up to come and speak at a King's weekend away. And the day before it began, Deb decided she would come along too. That changed our lives. Or maybe there's just other moments in your life where you've just seen God work in this kind of way. You're like, how is, what is going? This was not my plan, but this is amazing. So in total contrast to our current house move, 10 years ago, we were told that we had to leave the flat we were renting, and then Deb got an email from ESPC, advertising a property just down the road from this building that had some remarkably specific things about it that she wanted in our house, in a house. And so I popped in to see it. I discovered that they went to Central. There were Christians from down the road. They were actually meeting in our building at the time. And so we agreed to buy it that night. And God blessed us in a couple of other amazing ways to make sure we got it. So I feel like I'm living two extremes of house moves at the moment. <laughs> but are there those kind of moments in your life? God did that. 
I can't take any credit for it. It's just there. It just happened. Happened. Just to be clear, some things are just coincidences. So I once got a, rest, uh, a text message from the restaurant Tuk Tuk, just down the road from here, because I'd booked with them before. And uh, I got a message on my phone, just popped up saying, hey, it's been a, it's been a while. We'd like to offer you 20% off. Well, I was in Birmingham. So I was like, well, that's useless. And then I looked at the, the cushion on the sofa that I was sitting on. And it was covered in pictures of tuk-tuks, like the actual car, which the restaurant's named after. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> and I don't know. <laughs> it's not the same kind of mystery. I think, it's a, I think it was a coincidence. <clears throat> and there are plenty of people who aren't Christians who assign fate or chance or whatever a starring role in their lives. And so I could tell them some of those stories and they'd be like, oh, yeah. The guy who cuts my hair once told me, I'm a great believer that you get what's coming to you. And I was like, that kind of sounds like what I think or what I believe. But it also really doesn't. And what's the difference? What is the difference? Is there any difference for a follower of Jesus? And I think there is a difference. Because what's coming has come to us from a person who loves us. However random it may seem, it's not impersonal. The writer of Ruth makes sure we know this. Ruth happened to come, it says, to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, and behold, that's the word the Bible used to say, look, pay attention, oh, look, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you, and they answered, the Lord bless you. And that's exactly what's happening. The Lord is with them. The Lord is blessing them. As the 17th century writer John Flavel put it, every man loves the mercies of God, i.e. any good thing that they experience, but a saint loves the God of his mercies. That's our difference. We know that, there, we know that there's a loving father writing this story. It's amazing, and we're staggered and wondered by it. How incredible. And yes, there are some things that are just coincidences, but there's a whole other realm of stuff that, that we must guard our hearts against being cynical about. There must be moments of faith for us. This is what God did. This is how God arranged that. When God works these strange wonders in our lives, we should, we should sense his smile. Like, you weren't expecting that, were you? There is no greater good than being forgiven by God and adopted into his family through Jesus. If he never does anything else for you, that is the greatest thing and it outweighs all other things. But he does love doing us good in other ways too. And, and things like coincidences are one of the ways in which he can really put his handprint on it. They are reminders of his loving kindness and of his authority over our lives. And so we should cherish them and celebrate them. We should celebrate him because of them. This takes us to the end of the book of Ruth. So the narrator ends their story with a bit of a mic drop moment. So we're just having this lovely story. It's wonderful. It's a bad time. There's some good people. God's bringing it all about. And Ruth and Boaz get married. Wonderful. And then they have a baby. Lovely. What a lovely story. And the narrator says, it's far more important than that. 
The blessings they experience for themselves are only the start of it. Because the baby they have is called, in Ruth 4 we're told, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. At which point all Old Testament readers go, oh, David, David, Israel's greatest king. The warrior who expanded their borders to where God had told them to go. The worshiper who led them in praise of their God. The man to whom God made a promise of an everlasting kingdom that would bless the whole world. The the one through whom God was going to work out these great purposes. Without this little love story would never have come into the earth. And for those of us here who are Christians, like David is like a great start. Because, like, I've got even more. Because from the line of David, in fact, in the very town where Obed was born and where David was born, in Bethlehem, the son of David, Jesus, was born. Ruth went to get her mother-in-law some food. Look what God did. When you encourage someone Treat them kindly, lovingly. When you do your job well, when you join a serving team, when you tell someone about Jesus, when you use a spiritual gift for the good of someone else, when you use a natural gift for the good of someone else, you have no idea what the consequences might be. But we believe that someone is wanting to write a story through those things that is far more abundantly than we would ask or imagine. I just want to give you an example of this from from church life. Um, I'm going to read you a part of an email that we were sent a few years ago by a pastor from Germany. And I was reminded of this because a couple of weeks ago he visited us again. And the reason I want to read the whole thing is because loads of you were involved. And others of you, other people who aren't here anymore. But he had come to Edinburgh. He had a group of 12 men from his church. And they were staying in one of the hostels just down the road. Just on this road. It just so happened stay at a hostel down this road, and they just so happened. He said, I wanted to show the people from my group a typical Scottish Sunday service. (laughs) When we entered King's Church, I was irritated at first. (laughs) I had expected an old church, but it was totally different on the inside. But very quickly, your... Hang on, I've missed a... Oh, there, it's good. It's close. Very quickly... Your welcome team came and welcomed each and every one of us in such a warm and loving way. Neither I nor the other men had experienced this before in a church. When the service started, I was praying that God would touch the people from my group, although everything seemed totally different to what I had planned. I was quite tense and afraid of how they would react to this modern way of worshipping. The few of them who come from a church background are very traditional. But when I looked around, their faces were shining. I must admit, I had never experienced a service like that. Things like tongue singing are not common in our church at all. But the worship time touched my heart. I was so affected by the atmosphere in the room, I didn't know what to think. The sermon fitted perfectly with the theme of our trip. We'd been doing Bible studies about joy, and the sermon concentrated on the aspect of heavenly joy we didn't have time to think about in our devotions. All the men thought that I had coordinated it somehow. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit did it himself. 
that Sunday at King's, God changed my understanding of what church could and probably should be. In the service, I thought, this is it. He told us, he went on to listen to our uh, sermons online. He listened to a sermon series we did on the, pre, uh, on the Holy Spirit. As I knelt down and started praying for that spirit, and God filled me with him. Being a vicar for 15 years, it was a very odd experience to be filled with the Holy Spirit and start praying in tongues for the first time in my life. It has become a wonderful source of joy and spiritual power to my ministry and my life. My prayer life has changed totally, and God gives authority to my preaching. He's gone on to share this with loads of friends and colleagues in other churches, and we've helped him make connections with churches that we know nearby. We just, we just did what we always do. God arranged it. We have no idea what God wants to write through us. Although, as Carrie said, we can make some good guesses. When we trust him and when we take action, amazing things can happen. So the book of Ruth started with death and distance and despair. And it ends with life and hope and community. This is the story that God is telling through all his people and through all of history. It is the story of his great kindness. And one day we will look back and see what we have believed. That he has been working for his people's good in all things. And that he has brought us through all our troubles to a never-ending joy. For now, we're in the middle. Things still can be messy and, and murky. And we don't fully understand what's going on. But we do know who to trust and obey. As Paul says to the Romans, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Is this your story? Is this, is this your story? Or is today the moment you realize it can be your story? Someone brought you along. You wandered along. You're just watching online. And God has got your attention now. Maybe it was those words about the outstretched arms of a loving heavenly father. Maybe it was... Another song we sang, maybe it was something I said, maybe it was just the truth of the gospel, that Jesus died that you might live, to forgive your sins and to bring you into God's family forever. And today, that is just resonating with you. Today, you know that is true. Well, if you trust, then you must act. You need to respond and put your faith in him. Give your life to him. We're going to finish by singing a song that is a pretty good summary of the book of Ruth. It might sound a bit naive to us. It tends to be sung by children more than adults. And so even the band were like, how do you want us to do this? Do you want it to sound like a kid's song? I was like, no, I don't, I don't really want it to sound like a kid's song. 
because it was written by African-American slaves, men and women who lived in terrible darkness, but still believed that God would do them good in the end. You will probably know it, but we've added a couple of extra lines just to make it a declaration of faith for today as well as for all time.